We often read in various presentations about voidness that when you search for the conventional me or all these sort of things, you can't actually find it. When we search for the mind, we can't find it. It's important to understand that we're not speaking in some sort of trivial way. Of course, you, you know, where is your mind? Is it up your nose? It is. is it under your armpit? You know, I mean, obviously, to just say that it's not up my nose is not very profound. И часто слушая предложение учения о пустотности, мы слышим о необнаруживаемости чего-либо, да, при таком скрупулезном абсолютном элементарном анализе. Мы ищем где что-то, да, где сущность чего-то, или где мой ум. У меня в носу, под мышкой, где. И здесь важно понимать, что мы не занимаемся каким-то таким сериальным, банальным каким-то, так сказать, поиском. Вполне ясно, любой понимает, что мы не ищем носу или под мышкой, да, и в здравом уме ничего там сказать не будет. Or in the various discussions, particularly we find it in Karmakarkyu texts, where it says mind has no form, it has no color, it has no shape. Well, so what? It's quite obvious that mind is not, not that it's quite obvious, but that is a very beginner level to recognize that mind is not a form of physical phenomenon. That's not the profound understanding of voidness of the mind. Не имеющие формы, не имеющие очертаний, не имеющие цвета, запаха и прочего. Хотя что это такое? Вполне очевидно, что ум всего этого не имеет. Это довольно такое детское и тривиальное описание нематериальности чего-то. What we need to understand is this whole discussion of non-findability is that you can't find any referent thing in the context of mental labeling. There's nothing on the side of the basis that makes something what it is, or establishes that something is what it is. One of the quotations the Pension Lama uses here is that when you twirl around the stick, the sword, I forget what he calls it, of the understanding of voidness, it doesn't meet, it doesn't meet any obstruction, which means that, you know, there's no concrete referent thing, findable thing, or concrete uh, defining characteristic that would block and obstruct this understanding of voidness as if there was something out there. Один из образов, который использует автор этого текста, первый панчен лама в своем труде, это образ размахивания или человека, размахивающего над головой палкой stick of the emptiness. Yeah, stick of our understanding. What's the quote? I'll find it. Постижение пустотности и нет ничего, что остановило бы эту палку, обо что она ударилась. Нет никакого подразумеваемого объекта, какого-то существования, которое бы остановило ее, которого следовало бы да? Она размахивает в пустоте. 
Well, it doesn't matter what the quote is. We don't have so much time for me to look at it. In any case, all right, within a state of voidness, the lance, that's like a, a big stick that's used as a uh, weapon of awareness, twirls around. A correct view of reality cannot be impeded. It's blocked by anything ultimately tangible or obstructive. Постижение пустотности вращается вокруг, и верное понимание реальности не может быть остановлено или не может ничто создать ему препятствия на абсолютном уровне, ничто осязаемое, ничто останавливающее. О люди Димри, все подобные заявления сводятся к этому All right, this is quotation by Patampa Sangye in his uh, discussion to the people of Dingri, it's a district of Tibet. Hmm. Okay. Now, it's only with this uh, understanding that there is no findable referent thing that, you know, what establishes that things exist is in terms of, is dependent on mental labeling. And so when we understand that, then there's nothing to grasp onto in terms of mind, in terms of this delusion, this is a disturbing emotion, this is some, you know, wonderful thing that I want to achieve, or anything like that. There's nothing to hold on to. Основание для такого серьезного, так сказать, искреннего цепляния это что-то. О, это какая-то омраченная эмоция, это какое-то страдание или это какое-то какое эмоциональное негативное состояние, или это счастье, от него стоит держаться. Or love, or compassion, or insight, or whatever. There's nothing. Right? These things are not concrete objects, concrete states of mind, concrete understandings, concrete delusions, and so on, existing, you know, like solid ping-pong balls. There they are, independently existing by themselves. They, we need to understand their existence in terms of dependent arising. In terms of the conventional truth of them, they, since these are non-static phenomena, they arise dependently on causes and conditions. Относительные реальности возникают через опору на 
различные причины и условия, порождающие. And they arise dependently on parts. Они возникают и существуют через опору на свои собственные собственные части. And speaking in terms of uh, their deepest truth, in other words, what uh, establishes their existence, that arises dependently of mental labeling. So we understand dependent arising in terms of each of the two truths. And so the disturbing emotions are arising dependently on causes and conditions and so on, and likewise the understanding they will be gotten rid of dependent on causes and conditions. And the attainment of various good qualities and so on will come about dependent on causes and conditions. Even though these disturbing emotions aren't some, you know, findable, solid, referent thing, nevertheless they can be gotten rid of, and similarly, and not just gotten rid of by saying they don't exist, but gotten rid of dependent on causes and conditions, same thing with the positive qualities. They can be attained dependent on causes and conditions. Because the mind, conventional nature, can give rise to anything as a cognitive object and be cognitively engaged with it in terms of understanding, decisive, valid cognition, and so on. So, mind is totally capable then of giving rise to all good qualities, to omniscience. And the disturbing emotions are not part of the nature of the mind. The structure of a disturbing emotion being a way of, of being aware of something is part of the nature of the mind, but that content is not. И как мы уже говорили, омрачённые состояния сознания или клеши не являются имманентно присущими характеристиками ума, не являются его неотъемлемой частью, они приходящие, они в сию момент, приходящие из сию минуты. So the, the structure of it as being a, a way of being aware of something, well, that's part of the nature of the mind, but the actual 
content? Well, content, you know, it, it's um, ignorance or unawareness and so on. That's not part of the nature of the mind. So when we understand the deepest void nature of the mind, then we can work with the conventional nature of the mind to get rid of the disturbing side and uh, build up the liberating side. And success in this practice is going to depend very much on the preparation. If we haven't built up enough positive force, if we haven't done enough purification and so on, there will be just too many obscurations, too many mental blocks to be able to actually see the nature of the mind. And what will really add the vital energy, the living energy, the emotional energy to all of this, and I say that in a positive sense, is that healthy, strong, deep relation with a spiritual teacher and the inspiration that we receive from that teacher. And that's really true. Otherwise, our practice doesn't have a certain, what should we say, certain vital life to it. There's no real, what should we say, living emotional backing to it without this actual personal close bond, close relation with the spiritual teacher, even if we don't really have very much personal contact. This, this personal relation, this close bond, the tamsik, we look at sources of inspiration. There's inspiration from the three jewels, but for most of us it's really very difficult to even have a concept of what the three jewels are talking about.
к трем драгоценностям, но для большинства из нас три драгоценности это некие абстракции, которые нам даже порой трудно и представить, что они такое. Maybe if we've studied a lot, we can list all the qualities of the three jewels, but still to have some sort of living experience of what in the world that's talking about, and let alone to get inspiration from that, is not so easy. But uh, inspiration comes not only from, you know, they just use the regular words, you know, up meaning the three jewels and the uh, guru, but also it comes from down, which is referring to all suffering sentient beings. You know, you see their suffering, and you have compassion for them, how terrible, and so on. And this inspires us to develop bodhicitta, inspires us to, you know, I, I have to understand the nature of the mind. <laughs> So please don't underestimate the human factor involved in this whole Buddhist that human contact with a teacher, human contact with suffering beings, this makes the whole path vital and alive. And all the Tibetan traditions put a great deal of emphasis on this inspiration of so-called blessings. And I think it's important to, and I think it's important to understand that not in some sort of mystical sense, but in a very down-to-earth sense of what do we actually derive from you know, somebody that we have total respect for based on their good qualities, their kindness, and so on, and how uplifting that can be. Yeah. And don't underestimate the inspiration that we derive from 
suffering beings, especially ones that we have a connection with, in which we, um, what should we say, we have so much respect for this being, for this person, in terms of their Buddha nature, in terms of their potentials, and so on, that we are really moved and inspired to do our absolute best to be able to help this person. So we think of the good qualities and the kindness of the teacher turn us and we think in terms of Buddha nature and what they've actually done for us and for others and with the suffering beings we also think of their good qualities in terms of their Buddha nature and also their kindness everybody's been our mother so the structure is actually the same in terms of whether we're looking up or we're looking down And please don't misunderstand this terminology of looking up, upward and looking downward. That's just figuratively. We're not talking about, you know, I'm so much better than everybody else and I'm looking down on these poor things that are, these poor beings, these wretches who are suffering. This is just a figurative way of looking, uh, of referring to these two objects for inspiration, sources of inspiration. Okay, so we have some time for questions. Yes, 
А зачем вообще все это надо? Не проще было тогда, чтобы учитель сам его прочитал? Зачем надо, чтобы тебя читал другой человек? Friday stuff when you said about the young Sokomichik who asked you to give him the transmission of that book, the Shining Book. Yeah, the Tony the Shining Book. Uh, and you said that you were not particularly interested or well versed in that text. Yeah? I didn't say that I wasn't interested. I was deeply interested, but I had never had the opportunity to study it. So then, in the end, why on earth did he need uh, to receive then the transmission of that text from a person who is not particularly learned in that text? Why he didn't he didn't read it himself? If, it, if that is just a formality, and why he insisted on you giving him that meaningless, more or less meaningless trans- transmission? Well, the question is, why did young Sirkin Rinpoche want so much to have the oral transmission of the text, even though the person who was giving him the oral transmission had no understanding? of the text, although I had deep interest, of course, in understanding the text. And this has to do with lineage. And the word that is, I mean, because of course, the young Sir Rinpoche had read the text many times, and he is in fact memorizing it so that he can recite it every day the way that his predecessor did. Now, the word that's used here in Tibetan is the same word that we were just discussing uh, a moment ago, chindap, inspiration. He wanted the inspiration of the lineage. Now, you can think blessings of the the lineage, but uh, as I say, blessings gives a sort of magical, mystical quality to it, which I personally don't think that's so helpful to think that way эфиры и прочее, а является надвигом вдохновением. Да? А именно к этому он стремился к тому вдохновению, которое дарует передача учения по линии. And so there's a certain sense of connection and continuity which is involved with, uh, with lineage. А с линией передачи учения связано некоторое чувство или ассоциация связи, да? connection, связи and the inspiration here comes from that feeling of connection and continuity rather than from the continuity of understanding specifically Вдохновение здесь, пожалуй, происходит из осознания непрерывности из устной передачи этого текста, доходящей до слушающего, а не, наверное, из передачи постигнутого смысла, говорящим слушающим. The old Sir Rinpoche 
had received this lineage, this transmission from his father. Obviously, they were very, very close. And I was extremely close to the old Sirkonovich. I spent nine years with him. Studied with him, traveled with him, translated for him, wrote his foreign letters, got his visas, etc. And I have a very, very close connection with the young Sirkonimpache. When I first met him, when he came to Dharamsala, he was four years old, and the attendant asked him, do you know who this is, when I came into the room, and his reply was, don't be stupid, of course I know who this is. <laughs> And although I was very suspicious and I took my time to really investigate from his side, he was four years old. You know, from that time on, he was always unbelievably close with me, you know, not like he was with other people. So this feeling of lineage, of continuity, is almost like a feeling of family. Spiritual family. And it doesn't really depend so much on understanding. At least this is what I have come to understand, because I thought that you had to understand the text. But from this experience, I understand a little bit more what's involved here. I think it's like that. You know, I always wondered about the term heart disciple. And what that actually means. But the more that I think about it, the more experience I have in life, I think that it's not just, you know, somebody that you give the essence of your teachings to. But I think it also, in addition to that, entails a heart-to-heart connection. 
with somebody with the disciple based on a very long you know many lifetime and very pure Tamsik, something, a close bond, a close spiritual bond. Which is not mixed with disturbing emotion of attachment and so on, jealousy and so on. So that there's really a very strong positive emotional force that's uh, that's there. You know, when uh, you look at the word devotion and what you know because I always have a lot of problems with this word you know what is you know people who are very very devotional I uh, make a I have an article on this about uh, different approaches to the Dharma intellectual emotional and devotional and I think this devotional side is what I'm talking about uh, what I've been talking about here it's this strong positive emotion connection whether it's with the practice whether it's with a, with a deity whether it's with the teacher or whatever it's not at all mixed with a disturbing emotion a very very strong feeling of connection and inspiration and so there is uh, the sense of connection and continuity and family and so on that is important here with uh, these type of uh, transmissions so there's this aspect of uh, what we were just talking about devotion that is involved with this sense of connection the sense of family the sense of inspiration uplifting chinlap means uplifting so it's uplifting that comes from the what should we say transmission of a lineage oral transmission because they say based on that oral transmission and the uplifting the inspiration from it then you'll be able to understand the text much better Воодушевление, вдохновение или подъеме, которое мы получаем с ним, мы станем способны 
Now, mind you, various lamas give oral transmissions to crowds of thousands of people. I mean, sometimes they give an oral transmission of the whole kangur and tengur, which goes on for months and months. And so, you know, is that the same type of uh, level of transmission? Does it have the same effect on all people? Probably not. But nevertheless, it is the, the custom, and I think it has some sort of uh, sense of uh, uplifting. Yeah, it's very interesting because they say that all that the disciple has to do is hear the words. The disciple doesn't have to understand what is being said. When His Holiness gives a oral transmission or these what are usually called Kangyur Rinpoches, who uh, give oral transmissions of the Kangyur, they read it out loud so quickly you can't even distinguish one word from another. But... The only criterion, then, that uh, qualifies one for having received that transmission is that you don't fall asleep. You don't miss one minute of the transmission and you never fall asleep. You, pay, you, you actually hear the whole thing. <laughs> This uh, helps us to understand why Tibetan lamas don't take Western students terribly seriously, or at least most Western students seriously. Because Western students don't come to every single class and don't arrive absolutely on time for every single class. If there's a birthday, if there's an interesting movie, if they have a headache or whatever, they don't come. And so to the Tibetan Lama, that means that they're not interested in the oral transmission of the whole text. They haven't received it, so they're not serious about actually studying it. Uh, 
этого западного ученика, ученика несерьезный, он несерьезно относится к получению непрерывной вот этой вот передачи всего этого текста и, соответственно, порождает а, аналогичное к нему отношение. So this oral transmission is very important from a Tibetan traditional point of view. And it doesn't seem to be dependent on understanding. Not an easy topic. Any other question? Yeah. У меня вопрос про отсутствие истинного существования слова. Предположим, мы сняли наш язык, что он красный, мы сняли название стол. У нас не договоримся о том, что этот цвет называется красным, и там вот этот вот объект называется столом. Мы можем даже не знать, что он существует, может быть, самостоятельно в соседней комнате. Но он же при этом ну, ведет некое свое существование. She doesn't think about the lack of true existence of the table. Let's say we remove the, all the labels from the table, off the table. Remove the label red, remove the label table. We, we did not agree on those labels. They, they do not exist. There is no convention table. There is no convention red in our minds. There is a table here. Or even the table is in the other room and we don't see it. And we have no labels. But somehow table nevertheless exists in this way. It is and it performs some function, something is standing on it. So, how does this all interact correspond with that? Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's hope that that got on the... There's <laughs> a, a saying that uh, if we remove the labels, table, red, and so on, and even if we didn't see the table, Nevertheless, the table performs a function, and so couldn't that establish its uh, existence, truly established existence, that in fact is, according to some of the uh, textbooks, monastic textbooks, that is the criterion for establishing true existence in Sautrantika's system, for example, that it performs a function. According to some of the textbooks, not all of the textbooks, is that it performs a function. But Prasangaka would object to that because uh, that implies that there is some findable referent thing the table that is sitting there performing a function and so the suggestion that you made that we remove all the labels that's not exactly how it works it doesn't matter whether anybody labels them or not 
А то предположение, которое вы допускаете, говорят, что давайте уберем все эти ярлыки, да, нет ярлыка цвета, ярлыка а, стол и так далее, оно не состоятельно, поскольку не так много работали эти вещи. Лейбл can refer to you know, table or red, but it can also be a label or an imputation of a validly knowable object, an existent object. The most general, general possible thing. Something that exists. That can be validly known. And that label, I mean, what is this object? It is what that refers to. A validly knowable object. There's no, as I say, plastic coating, encapsulating it and making it a separate thing, you know, by itself that then I can come into the room and see and know, even though it appears like that. And it doesn't matter what I call it, and, you know, if I know a name for it or I don't. That does, that's irrelevant. And the fact that it performs a function, we, as I say, there can be a misunderstanding behind that. Of course it performs a function, but uh, it's not a thing existing from its own side that's performing a function. So if you just specify performing a function as what establishes it, you also tend to specify, without making it explicit, that you know, there's some findable reference thing sitting there performing the function. So we have time for one more question, then I need to go. What's the etymology of the Mahamudra term? What's the etymology of the Mahamudra term? That there are so many different etymologies that are given. You can find it in the commentaries on my website from various Tibetan authors. But literally, the term maha means great and mudra means seal. Seal is like, you know, something with wax that uh, uh, attests to the validity of something. And so, 
what attests to the validity of mind. It's the conventional and deepest nature of it, even though it's not like something sealed in wax that you can actually point to and find. The validity of it as a as an as a noble as a um, an object that can be known that you can work with that on the basis of it you can achieve enlightenment confirmed by its conventional and deepest nature. So, I really need to go. I know a few of you still have questions while I'm packing up. You can come and, up, uh, and ask me the question, but I have to go. So, we end with the dedication. We think whatever understanding has uh, come from this, whatever positive force has come from this, may go deeper and deeper and act as a cause for reaching enlightenment for the benefit of all.